media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to start in verse 7. Somewhere at my old church, there's a certain individual that says, See, that's why we need to have hymnals. I just know that that's what she would be saying this morning. Uh, there's great value in hymnals, and, and we would have been able to pull those out. Uh, at the same time, I, I, I do understand uh, the frustration that we can have with technology, but you did a great job. And I pray that uh, those songs, you know, in, in the simple beauty that we sang them, maybe perhaps this morning, that in one way could even mean more because we weren't just following words on the screen, but uh, just singing from our heart. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about a little bit maybe about that song. And have you ever felt a little bit of conflict when you've sing, sung a song like that, I Surrender All? Because there's a part of you that it truly is your heart's desire. But there's a part of you, if you were just honest with yourself, said, okay, I, I come f- so far from really surrendering all. And I don't know about you, but I, I think that there's a place of integrity within each one of us. There's a place of reality within each one of us that we truly want to be uh, a people of integrity, even if not to anybody else, but at least to ourselves. And so we sing a song like that, I Surrender All, and just as Ricky said, and as we discussed before, as they were uh, getting ready this morning, I, I said, I have a love-hate relationship with that song. I love that song. I really love that song. But there's a part of me that always feels uh, like a little bit of a weight. You know, have I really surrendered all to Christ? And so this morning, as we go into God's Word, I, I want us to see that perhaps there's more to this surrendering to Christ than just a heavy weight that God has placed upon our shoulders. That God is watching, and as we toe the line, as we try to walk the steps to follow Christ, is it really one of those things that God is watching us with every expectation that we have surrendered all, or is it truly one of those things that more and more and more He's given us a heart to desire the things of Him and not just the things of ourselves? When we left last week, you might have made the mistake of thinking that Paul thought that all religious activity was bad. Uh, we, we state it not once, twice, but uh, probably at least four or five times that God's call upon our life is not his, his being pleased with us. It's not the number of times that we've gone to church, uh, how long our quiet time or studying the Bible or prayer time is or, or doing good things for others. Our approval before a holy God is not based on those things. But do not for a second think that those are not good things. And actually things that God does want as fruit in a Christian's life. To conclude that those religious activities and maybe a long list of others would would be something that God was speaking against and that Paul was speaking against would come to the wrong conclusion. No, this morning we have to understand that our approval from God and our life following that approval of God through Jesus Christ are two different things. The Bible uses different words. and Theologians use different words for that. The fact is, Paul would be the first one to argue that if you're truly Christian, you would want to go to church and go to church often. That you would want to be with the other people that had belief in Jesus Christ. That you would want to be in His Word and study that you would want to bow before him and pray. 
Not from a time limit. I've got to do five minutes today to get approval from God. But that would be the desire of your heart. That you wouldn't go out and just do unto others as you would have them to do unto you because if there's a compulsory thing, but you truly would have a changed heart that would start saying, you know, I, I want to be like Christ. He came not to be served, but to serve. And to be more like him, I want more and more that heart instead of my heart that really enjoys being served. The religious activity, guys, misunderstood is not a wrong thing. It's only wrong in the context if we think that it's getting approval before a holy God and somehow covering up our sinfulness. Maybe that's why we want to spend time this morning to to really kind of go over the different stages, if you want to say, of salvation. Salvation could be talked about in three different terms, justification and sanctification and one day glorification. And I know sometimes when we start throwing out, and those aren't really complex words, but sometimes when we start throwing those words out, some of you have a tendency to, to maybe tune out. Uh, I, I know many people, my wife is one of those that says, but I just love Jesus. I just want to love Jesus. And it's not that she doesn't like the deeper things or the complex things or terms. She, she's all for that, but she's a pretty simple lady when it comes to it. She just wants to live her faith and she loves Jesus. And maybe you this morning said, you know, do I really need to know what justification and sanctification and all these different things are? I would challenge you this morning, never leave the simplicity of just loving Jesus, okay? Don't leave that. But don't be afraid at the same time to have a deeper understanding of some of the things that not are not the deeper things of Christ. We don't want to be like the Gnostics that said, hey, come over here. We'll show you the deeper things. That was false teaching. But what we want to understand this is so that we can understand, how do I live today? Is my whole basis of, of, of being right with made God because I have to do something or because he's already done something? And so I, I trust by faith what Christ has done. Because I promise you guys, it will make the difference of a successful Christian life, a joyful Christian life, and one that is a burden. It will make the difference between I surrender all. Will you make me more and more like that God? And that, okay, the only way that God's ever going to be approved of me, and approving of me, the only way he's ever going to be satisfied in, in me is if somehow I can surrender all. And what does all mean? All my money, all this, all that, my time? Do I become a monk? Do I become a nun? Do I, where's the measure Surrender. See how difficult that is? So let's try to simplify that this morning. Let's not shy away from these two terms, justification and sanctification. Justification is a term that we use to describe how one becomes a Christian. That is that holy God, sinful man, how do we have a right relationship with this perfect holy God? The Bible says that there's just one way. In fact, I think you would just include in your prayer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The means of justification is the work of Christ and the work of Christ alone. Sanctification is our life 
after we have been saved, born again, whatever, become a Christian, whatever terminology you want to do, it's the sanctification that is now we have a desire to live more like Christ in every day. Why? Because if we want to go back to the Old Testament, it says he took out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Took out a heart that really wasn't so desirous of the things of God, and now he placed in us a heart at our salvation to desire to be like God. Never as a payment for our salvation, but simply as an appreciation of what God has done. Heard this years ago. I wish I would have been smart enough to come up with it because I think it kind of really cleared it up for me that this, what's the difference between this justification and sanctification? Justification saves us from the penalty of sin. So so repeat that back. Justification saves us from the penalty of sin. Okay? It's a good way of thinking. Okay? Our sins have been forgiven. Sanctification saves us from the power of sin. Say that that back to me. Sanctification saves us from the power of sin. In other words, now we have the ability because the Holy God lives within us. The very Spirit of God lives within the Christian. Now we have the ability... To actually go in and never sin again. Now, nobody has ever quite done that, okay? (laughs) But at least we want to make that journey. And not only do we not have to be the one that really has to come up with that effort, that desire is placed in there by the very Spirit of God. Now, some people, again, don't like to use those, you know, theological terms. It scares people off. And they think, okay, he's, the pastor's just showing off. And, and, and I would agree and disagree with some of the different complaints about using theological te- uh, terms and, and, and statements. I agree that we have to be very, very, very careful not just to throw words around in any way to ever bring an impression upon us. That is, oh, man, he knows what that means. Or he has a good understanding of that? No, never, ever, ever to, to bring attention to self and that in one way that we would think that it was an accomplishment because we know some the, theological words. Uh, any more than we say, hey, you know, the Greek of that is that we can use that to explain better or we can use it to bring attention to ourselves. So I agree that we don't need to use theological terms, folks, just to bring an impression upon ourselves or to make it seem like things are complicated. But I would disagree that we need to avoid using such terms at all because I think that they really do help us understand our condition. Let me give you an example. Neoblastoma. Anybody know what that is? If it's affected your family, you really know what it is. Not because you have a nursing degree, not because you're a doctor, not because of, because all of a sudden somebody in your family had brain cancer, it had a, a, a disease. Now let me ask you guys, if that's happening to you or somebody in your family, somebody that you love, do you want the doctor to come out and say, she's sick? Okay, doctor, what? well, she's going to maybe pass. Well, explain it. Well, I'm just telling you she's sick and she's going to pass. Or would you want a doctor who's qualified to kind of know some things and, and uses a term says, okay, what she actually has is this, or what he has is that. And he uses this word that before was almost unpronounceable to you, but now that you're in that situation, what do you want to know? I want to know my condition. 
And when we use terms like sanctification and justification, it's not so that we can impress people. We need to know our condition, folks. If there truly is a God, and we truly, truly will answer to him one day, isn't it wise for us to know our condition? Isn't it wise for us to be able to take these things and say, you know, I'm not just kind of good or bad. I'm this or that. But for us to have an understanding from God's vantage point what our condition is. I would hope that if we ever got into a... I mean, I'm not good with those uh, biological terms. I I was never good at biology. I went up to my college professor because she was a wonderful, wonderful Christian lady. And uh, I said, look, I'm barely passing your class. Now I'm making straight A's in finance and business and management and all those business things. That computes in my head. That makes sense to me. But I said, the first day, biology... 202. I didn't have her the previous semester. She asked a basic question. A thousand hands went up, it seemed like to me, and I'm going, I don't even understand the question. Am I all of a sudden going to become a student of biology and medicine and all these terms? No, that's not really kind of, but I promise you, if my wife, if my daughters, if my grandchildren had sickness in their life, I would want the longest word possible. I would want whatever the doctor had to give me to tell me of their condition and then tell me how I can have hope from saving them from that condition. Does that make sense? So this is why we apply this, guys. This is why we concern ourselves with terms that probably last week, I doubt that so many, you know, that any of you really came up and somebody said, hey, justification? You know, and just work that into a sentence last week. It probably didn't happen. And yet it's important for us to know before a holy God where our condition is and the remedy of that condition. And that's why we need to have a proper grasp of understanding that. Now this is a really, really long introduction, okay? But I think it's one of those that we will not get what Paul is saying here in this, in this next passage if we do not understand the difference. So let me say this one more time. Justification is a term that describes how a sinful person is declared right or righteous before a holy God. That's justification. Sanctification is the term that describes how God is now making that person more righteous in their actions and thoughts, becoming more and more like Christ. Okay, so you got, you got those two? And, and, and I think that many of you probably already had that grasp. Now, when you do that, you begin to understand really where Paul's coming from. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. If you remember from last week, Paul said that when it comes down to the contest of just religious activity, of being religious just for the sake of being religious and doing religious things in order to try to please God with our righteousness, our self-righteousness and our religious activity. He said, you really don't want to get in that race with me because if you did, you'd lose. Now, was Paul just a big, you know, was he just bragging? No, he really was a very spiritually disciplined person. The Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. 
You don't. It, it would be like getting in a running race with Usain Bolt. Okay, it says, okay, hey, you want to, you want to, you know, run against this person? It'd be like trying to get into a basketball shooting contest with uh, Stephen Curry or something like that. I mean, it would be one of those things you're going, I'm not in that league. And Paul said, if it came down to just religious activity, you're, you're not in my league. I, I can do it with the best of them. And so when he says, whatever gain I had, that is, what people thought of him, what he thought that he had gained, he said, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. He said, basically, that religious resume... I can toss aside. Because it didn't get me closer. In fact, it probably kept me away from having a real and right relationship with holy God. No matter what he had done, all of his activities could not take his sins away. So Paul takes all of those years of work and all those accomplishments and he goes from all those things that he had earned in his own mind, maybe even earned in the face of other people. And he says, basically, he uses an accounting term. Any accountants? And he moves it from the uh, asset side to the debit side. Before, I saw these as assets. And now I see them that they're actually lost. And he actually, in the Greek, forgive me for using the Greek, but he uses an accounting term. And they would have understood that. If you looked on your bank statement tomorrow and you had made a deposit of $5,000 last week as an asset, and by the time they got to the bank, they had moved it from the asset side to the debit side, would you notice that? Would that be something that you would probably make a phone call about? Well, you know, computers, $5,000. No, you would be on the phone. If they opened at 9, you would be calling them at 8.59. Because you're like, hey guys, you've made a mistake. This was something I deposited as an asset. This is money that I should have to pay my bills. And yet you've placed it over here and you actually took $5,000 out. And I guarantee you, we would be very concerned about that. I mean, it didn't even have to be 5,000, 500, 50, 5, sold. <laughs> I mean, and that's what Paul is saying. He actually uses this accounting term. He said, forever I have been putting all my righteous acts over here in this asset side. I, I keep on thinking that somehow God loves me more, that people approve of me, that somehow I have gotten closer to God because it, and he said, I make a move. I make a change in my spiritual accounting, and I move it from the asset side to the debit side. Well, well, Pastor, I thought you said that you know, that religious activity in it by itself isn't necessarily evil. It's not bad. It's not. Well, well, then why is he counting it as loss? Why is he putting it over there on the negative side? Why is it a debit now? Because Paul was using it to justify his own life. To justify his own standing before God. And he said, it kept me from understanding that only Christ can justify me. Does that make sense? 
It's not the, what he did. Now, some things he did do wrong. I mean, Paul was responsible for the murder of many Christians. Paul hated Jesus Christ. As a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and a Pharisee of Pharisees, Jesus was the enemy. And Paul hated and That's why he would lead those rallies and he would lead those people as they would go out and get Christians and actually take their physical life. He thought he was really doing something that was honorable to God. He saw Christ as a false teacher. No, you're saved by the law and your obedience to the law. That's what Paul would have said. And this radical preacher comes along, this radical rabbi comes along, says, no, actually you're not saved by your obedience to your law because you never could have done it in the first place. You're, you're saved if you put your faith in me, the only one that will ever be obedient totally to the law. My name is Jesus, and I'm son of the living God. I am your only hope, Paul. And on that road, when Paul came to realize that, not because Paul was pursuing God, but because God was pursuing Paul, and he came to that reality, all of a sudden, assets became debits. And debits became assets. And Jesus Christ wasn't the villain. He was the Savior of the world. Paul takes all that and he says, I count it loss. The loss for the sake of Christ. Those things kept me from, from coming to Christ because I was trusting in myself. I love what the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said on this verse. He said, when we come to Christ, whatever we have to trust to, we must put away. We must write it on the other side of the ledger. We've entered it as a gain. Now we must set it down as a loss. It is no, of no value whatsoever. It is a loss if we attempt to trust anything less than Christ. And that's what basically Paul is saying. Now look at verse 8. Maybe he tries to soften what he just said. No, he doubles down, to use a current term. Okay, I'm doubling down. I, I so much believe this, I'm going to double down, and I'm going to state it again. Look at verse 8. Indeed, do you see that first word? In the ESV, it's indeed. In other versions, you may have a similar word, but it means the same thing. Indeed, in fact, I'm not going to water it down. I'm not going to change my mind. This is the truth. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. The word rubbish? Again, this is where the Greek kind of comes in a little bit. We think of rubbish as some trash. In my neighborhood, we'll put the trash out tomorrow morning. They'll come and they'll empty the trash. And the real meaning, this the real word is dung. You can fill in whatever synonym you want to have for dung. But it's waste, human waste. Animal waste. He said, I, I can say, he wasn't just saying, you know, it's not of great value. He says, no, it's actually something you don't like at all. He's saying that we need to give up any confidence of our own goodness in order to trust entirely what Christ has done. In fact, to really grasp how much Paul means this, notice in your Bibles something about the second part of verse 8 
to the end of 11, okay? You're going to see this best if you have your physical Bible out. If you're on a tablet, if you're on your phone, you're, it's going to be a little bit harder maybe to see. If it was up here, I think you would be able to see it uh, a lot clearer. Do you notice anything about the second part of verse 8 all the way to the end of verse 11? I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with English writing. Hold it. It's all one Sentence. I was always accused of, of run-on sentences. I didn't know when to do periods. But, but it wasn't because I just didn't understand English. I mean, some of it was that. But some of it was simply, but there's more, but there's more, there's more. And Paul is writing, and if you notice, from the second part of verse 8, all the way to the end of verse 11, there's some commas. But there's not a period. Why? Because it's all one thought. He says, I just really want to explain this. I want you to be able to grasp this. So let me read that in its entirety and understand that, that this is all one thought. This is the continuing thought of Paul. Verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. Period. End of that sentence. But now the start of this really long thought. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible I might attain the resurrection of the dead. It's a long walk there, guys. Now, why didn't he, you know, if I would have submitted that, my, my former administrative assistant would have broken that up into three really good sentences. So, Bobby, this is the proper way to say that. This is the proper way to say this because he doesn't want to stop the thought. What is he linking together? Get this, guys. Get this. Justification and sanctification. He starts off, this is how I'm justified, and it leads now into this call to be sanctified. I mean, look what it says. Verse 8 and 9, that's all about justification, how he's made right with the Holy God. Verse 10, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings. He moved from being justified by the work of Christ now into the call upon his life. You're sitting there this morning and you're going to have one of several thoughts. Wow, that can change my life. To really get that clear is going to change my life. Wow, he spent all week working on that? Or wow, what are we having for lunch? I mean, I don't know where this registers with you guys. Please take my word for it. This is really, really important. Because here's the dangers of not getting our justification and our sanctification right. Please hear that. Here's the warning. You just, you get justification wrong and that it's only through Christ and His finished work, then you are going to be striving to get approval from God for the rest of your life. You get sanctification wrong and you can easily adopt an attitude. Well, you know, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. So it really doesn't matter how I live. Wrong, wrong. 
Do you see the error there, guys? Why it's important to grasp this? You get it out of balance and we're going to go in error of either way. We're going to think somehow this heavy burden is upon our shoulders when it was upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. You go the other way and you're going to be so lazy about your Christianity, you're not going to see this high call that Christ now has called us to now that we are representatives of Him in a lost and fallen world. So my prayer this morning is that we'd grasp this. In verse 8, he says, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Sometimes people think that Paul was taking on a vow of poverty or something like that. Even though he used an accounting term, he's not using it in the monetary sense. What he is saying here is he's lost his confidence in being able to, to please God in his own righteousness. To be the first, to outdo, to keep the law, to be a good Jew. And we found salvation came in the free gift of the work of Christ. I don't know your spiritual history. I don't know what happens inside your head and your heart when it comes to spiritual things. But if you have struggled to please God and somehow... I've had many people, hey, I'm not in church and, you know, I'm not a Christian. I want to clean up my act before I... Come to church. I want to clean up my act so that when I come, you know, that God can be pleased. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I don't know about you guys, but it makes me want to weep. That somehow they're, they're strangled by, hey, I've got to stay away from this gift that God has for me because I'm not worthy of it. None of us were worthy, guys. That's what Paul's saying here. And yet he moves from his unworthiness and that only the work of Christ can justify him to the worth of the call that God has now placed upon his life. If you're a Christian this morning, by my understanding of biblical writing, you are a son or daughter of the living God. That's a high call, guys. That's not a, well, you know. I mean, what if you approached marriage that way? You got married. Well, I'm married now, so it really doesn't matter what I do. How long would it have taken Carly to try to straighten me up so I could get a grasp? That when I said, I do, that it meant something. And that's what Paul's doing. I hope that we get these things right. Verse 10 and 11, it says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Sanctification, that's part of the sanctified life. That's part of our life after we've been justified by the free work of God. Now we go into this part of our life, this part of salvation, where he is sanctifying us more and more every day. He says, that I may know him. That word in the Greek, forgive me, because there's different words for know. It's the word gnosko that means to know by experience. Doesn't mean there's another word that means all knowledge. When Jesus tells the seven churches in Revelation, I know your works, he doesn't say, Hey, I've been watching, I've been taking notes. He uses the word, I know all about you. 
I know everything. There's nothing that is hidden from me. That's not the word here. The word here is to know by experience. Again, let's go back to marriage. Carly and I have been married 38 years. Do you think we know, gnosko, each other more than we did 38 years ago? I mean, we love each other. We loved each other then. But I guarantee you, now we know. That's why I love doing recommitment of vows. Sometimes people do it 25 years, 50 years, different times. And I've been blessed to do that several times. Because when they say, for better, for worse, now it's not theory. Guess what it is? Experience. When they say sickness and in health, it's not in theory. No, they know by experience. And that's the word that Paul uses here. It's really important for us to understand that he says, okay, I I know from experience and I want to get to know you more and more, more intimately, Christ. I want to know more and more what? The power of your resurrection. There's a lot of different ways that we could say that. One of the phrases that I would use, one of the ways I would explain that is somebody says, what does that mean, the power of his resurrection? That you would know more and more the power that God used to raise Christ from the dead, that you would know in that in your life to do what? So that you truly could be free from the power of sin. Remember what we said sanctification was? Justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is being free from the power of sin. And part of that power is that we would know more and more the power of his resurrection. See how it all fits together, guys? Paul's not just going on and on because he doesn't know how to end a sentence. This wasn't a hundred word, uh, you know, page that he had to write for a professor. And so he's just kind of filling in and repeating himself. Every word here weighs and shows us the way of life. What is sanctification? In one way, we could say it's a thirst for more and more of Christ. Now, the way we could say it's a desire to be more and more like him every day, to love like him, to be patient like him, to know his power, not our own. Will we ever get there in this lifetime? No. That's why that last stage of salvation, glorification, (laughs) we're free from the presence of sin. Freed from the penalty of sin, freed from the power of sin. One day, guys, one day. No more weeping, no more pain, no more... Why? Because we are now free from the presence of sin. Y'all ever cheat and kind of know... uh, You look at the end of the book and see how it turns out. Or sometimes you, you want to know. I mean, some people go, no spoiler alerts, no spoiler alerts. I don't want to be spoiled. I want to watch this game myself. And other people are like, hey, give me the spoiler alert. Who wins? Spoiler alert. Let me give you the first verse for next week. Verse 12. Because it answers the question. Is this journey ever going to be over? Yeah, eventually. But, but as far as our earth's journey, he says, not that I have already attained it, I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
And we'll look into more of that next week. He said, man, I haven't got this figured out. You say, Paul, man, you've got, you've mastered this. And he says, no, I have not obtained it. I'm on a journey and I'm pressing on. And we're going to look at what that word press on means next week. And because it's a real challenge to us, but he says, I'm pressing on, but I just want to attain the things of Christ. Why? Because Christ has me. I want the things of Christ because Christ has Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I pray that your word was properly handled and communicated today, Father. We, we don't want to do anything to, to think that we're just smarter than other people. And Father, that we're using terms to impress people in any condition or way. Father, we just need to know our condition. And Father, I thank you that your word... And your spirit tell us of our condition. And Father, it shows us not only our condition, but the cure. And that cure is not doing more things for you. That cure is not trying to be a good person. That cure isn't just going to church or doing this or that. Father, that cure is the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, today, thank you that when we place our trust in that and our faith in the grace that you have extended to us, Father, we are forever saved, forever justified. And we thank you, Father, that now you, you call us to a life, Father, that reflects Christ. Father, we love you and we thank you. And this Thanksgiving season, Father, there's many things that we can say that we're blessed with, Father. Family and friends. Other things that we would look at. Some material goods and some things that are emotional things. Other things that are more relational things, Father. In all of that, you're showing your goodness. But Father, help us to understand that this Thanksgiving, if we've placed our trust and faith in your son's work, that we are the most blessed of all people. We love you and we thank you, Father, as we ask all this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.